Hello and welcome to the Last Alliance podcast, the University of Alberta's Tolkien Society book study for the winter term of 2015. Join us this semester as we read and discuss The Silmarillion. Hope you enjoy it! The official the, uh, last one. The last official yes. one. Although, yes, we do. Um, Friday, oh, 5 yeah. to 10, we finally have the location confirmed for a year-end party. Uh, so, did anybody come to the Inklings? If you came to the Inklings, it's in that room. If you did not come to the Inklings, it's, well, it's still in the same room. Um, it's Eka L1150, which is in the basement of Eka, just like how Cesis has, like, lower, that's what the L means. Just if you're like wandering around stuck in a Starbucks. Like I was. Like Rick was. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like something. Uh, if you'd like to present something, you should still email me and let me know. I'm going to make the program tonight, but of course, if you don't make <coughs> the program, you can still present something. We're not going to like turn you away. Uh, we're going to have a piano. The room is set up with projectors, speakers, I assume, and screens. It's like a classroom with drop down things. So if you need that for a presentation, that will be available to you as long as you can plug your computer into it somehow or bring a flash drive. Uh, if you'd like to run for something, you can still let me know. If you'd like to nominate yourself or someone else for a position, or you can nominate someone or yourself at the moot itself, we will list the current nominations as each position opens up, and then we'll open the floor for nominations. Um,
yeah, it had a lot of problems with the last battle in regards to who was fighting it and how it ended everything. Yeah. Um, I sort of enjoyed the return of the Valar and the elves from Valinor to Middle-earth in that battle, but it really struck me that the, El that the Sons of Finor had the gall to kill any of their kin again to um, reclaim the Silmarils. It just sort of brings in the power of that oath. I'm on the conveyor for the first hour. Um, uh, like the Calabeth is just, like I said yesterday, it's just my favorite over the entire Silmarillion put together. It's just like so, there's so many awesome things just from like Numenor and Sauron just being awesome. And the only way it could have been better is if Glaron had somehow made an appearance, and then everything awesome would have just been encapsulated into it. <laughs> and uh, that, then it would be just my favorite of all Tolkien works, but nevertheless, it was just really awesome. Tolkien. Uh, that's the one that he, he came up with 
first. It's based on a very uh, an old English poem, um, and uh, it's also even though it's the oldest, it's one of the ones that Tolkien wrote least about. So you don't have. I mean, you're right that this also feels this chapter also feels very condensed. Not as much maybe as the Fall of Gondolin, but you still feel it. But at least with the Fall of Gondolin, you have a whole bunch of other like in the Book of Lost Tales. There's a lot. But with Arendelle, you didn't, he didn't, I don't think he ever wrote sort of a full-fledged narrative of it. Um, I thought there was the adventures of Arendelle going into the void or something. Well, there, there are snippets, but not like a full, right? So, for example, when it, when it says in the lay of Arendelle, in many of things, some of his adventures, there are hints of, of some of these adventures that Tolkien played around with, but I don't think he ever sort of wrote them out. Um, one of them is, of course, uh, Arendelle has, has a battle with Ungoliath. Yeah, I think he does. Because oh, in yeah. the Ungoliant chapter, that was the thing is that she like consumed herself. Yeah, so of course, I mean, again, he's yeah. you know, over 60 years, yeah. he's, he's playing around with stories, right? So that's true. Um, okay, so, uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think of Kyrden here? Kyrden gets some, some, some uh, screen time, some So that when the ship came back or the island, or whatever, they decided to stay, right? So, um, so Kirdan plays a kind of—he's kind of a boundary person or a, border, a person like, sort of on the border, right? And uh, like he's not—I mean, he's Sindar, but he's—but he kind of has his own people. He's not—he's not with Thingol the way the other Sindar with Thingol, right? Um, so he—he he plays a kind of—you know—he's sort of on the on the fringe, right? Um, not, I think, not too dissimilar from Gloomo again in that sense, right? Yeah, Matthew. I mean, Jesse. So like uh, Talari, like the Grey Elves. Yeah, right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So okay, so yeah, so then he he and and Arendil build the ship, right? The uh, Vingalot, foam flower, fairest of the ships of song. What's that? They don't sing about those ones. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, they just. Okay, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I do think you're right. I think we're supposed to think of the Tulare ships, right? This is sort of the 
the culmination of that, of that of that image, right? That, that this becomes the, the ship of all ships. Well, it's kind of like when we talked about the Lord of the Rings. People like Aragorn is like the Numenorean, like the representation of all Numenorians now in Middle Earth. Right. Boromir is like the Gondorian man. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that so so this ship becomes sort of the the, the new standard of, of shipbuilding, right? Uh, I guess, which is kind of cool. Uh, and okay, so Arendel off he goes, right? And, and here's another character who likes to be by himself. So you know we've seen this as a as kind of a theme, uh, you know. So, but of course, some don't go bad the way others do, uh, and so Arendel is, is one of those. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so not maybe not in the same way, but okay. So maybe not so much being alone, but he has that that's that longing for the sea. That he is alone a lot. Right, he likes to be alone. Right. Yeah. Well, that was sad. Yeah. Uh, ben. Well, I always imagined like with it seemed like it's kind of like a big and impressive ship. I feel like he'd have like a crew with him, and they're just like going on like sailing adventures together. So he's not alone like by himself. It's just that he wasn't with Elwing. I imagine there would be a crew of some kind. Yes. So yeah, not alone in that sense, right? What do you make of the sea longing? This longing of the sea. Why do you think Tolkien has makes that such a big deal in his in his thought and in his books? Well, he's British. <laughs> Well, Britain's pretty big. I mean, you can live your whole life in Britain and never actually see the sea, I imagine. Yeah, but you can't get anywhere else without no, what I mean, I'm just, what I'm saying, you know, like, like it's not... Everything Britain has accomplished has been because of the sea. Well, yeah, there is that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not the case. That's, you know, um, yeah, Nick? Well, like I said yesterday, and, you know, adding to that, uh, Alfred Hitchcock did say that the British are a seafaring people. It's kind of like in yeah. our blood... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Would you? Oh, when he when he actually came to Britain, he would have gone by sea. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Although that wouldn't have been a long. Well, I don't know how they would have done that. Well, from South, South Africa, Africa. Yeah. that would have been a long way. Yeah, that would have been a long. Yeah, that's right. He was also like four, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, when you're a kid, that kind of stuff has big impressions on. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, not, not to go biographical. But <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, you're you're right. For, yeah, for some reason, I had this crazy idea for a second that they may have gone gone on long land and sort of North Africa and across. But then I thought, actually, that's probably not the case. I feel like it's probably hard to experience so, something like the sea and not be affected by it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you also, if you think of the the Silmarillion as sort of a mythology for England, which was something that has popped up once in a while, then really, you can't have an apology for England. Right. That doesn't involve the ocean. That's true. Yeah. Because yeah. the, like, the, the angles got there via sea. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the sea is also probably the, the most common use for, like, unknown, uncharted, and Mysterious happenings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, very rich symbolically for, you know, especially when you've got an, an adventuring type like 
Mayor Ranger was the Kaiser mm -hmm. stepping point. Well, he started off as a mayor in under eight, and Tolkien's thought, so kind of, it's the seed first and foremost, and then almost, you know, kind of the longing for the sea, and everything else almost flows from that. Right. You start with the sea, and then you yeah. work it in. Yeah. Yeah, Shelby? I mean, there's also the fact that Ulmo, if we get back to the story, is such an integral part of Miller. He's the only one that stays there. Right. And so the characters themselves have a connection to an actual Valar. Yeah. The sea. Right. Yeah, Ulmo is, is the one who, who, who sticks around the most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like the heartbeat of, of, of the area. I was thinking it would, it's a good thing Bad Way didn't stay, otherwise we would be jumping off cliffs from in the sky. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they invent planes, just like they invented boats. Yeah, yeah right. Came back later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah a, few, a, a few too many uh, Daedalus's and Icarus's. Okay, so okay, so now we have the the, the you know we'll, we may as well talk about the fate of the sons of Thanos here. You know, this is this is what this whole thing has been about, and uh, it kind of wraps up here. Um, what do you make of this oath now at the end? Now that we've kind of read the whole thing, we talked a bit about oaths. Any any sort of final concluding thoughts on the sons of Thanos? Yeah, Shelby. Turn up the way they want. Pardon? It didn't turn up the way they wanted. No, no, it didn't. I think in this case, it's also going back to the, um, shoot, my brain's blanking, but the first chapter, it's, uh, it's everything worked out in the end for Illuminatar, so right. that the Silmarils are with the Earth still, even though the Oath was an evil thing, you ended up with the Silmarils, one in each element. Yeah, right. Say. I mean, Jesse, you want to do that? Man, I'm fading too. It must be another semester or something. Uh, actually, uh, pity the sons of Van right now at the final end of it, especially when they're talking to each other. Though. Yes! Uh, we have to fulfill this oath. Like, Mount, it wasn't made to Monway. He can't release it to us. It was made to Illuvatar. Yeah. And if we throw ourselves on the mercy of the valley, what if they just say no? Yeah. And then we're stuck and we can't ever complete this oath. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what's so interesting, because Maglor himself says, hey, let's just go to Valinor, and then we'll just wait it out. Eventually, they'll forgive us, and we'll just get what we wanted to in the end. You know what I mean? Like, like even a long view still maintains this idea that we have to get them, right? Nick, you had your hand up. Oh, uh, just if, if I've learned anything from the Sons of Valinor, it's just never make a promise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matthew? Yeah, I just really like what Meglor just says because I thought Mindros would be the one to have more sense. But in the end, Meglor says, whether we keep our oath or break it, what less evil shall we do in the break-in? I just, I thought Mindros, because of his um, thing with Fingon, how originally he had some more good in him, I thought he would have been more Yeah. Than that, but it yeah. turned out to be Meglor. Yeah, but it's interesting that, it's very interesting how Meglor finally comes to that conclusion, right? That less evil will come from breaking but not no evil. I don't know what the evil would have been if they had broken. Yeah, Daniel. It seems like this last conversation, they finally understood what they swore in the first place. Yeah. That they did something stupid yeah. a long time ago, and they can't undo it now. Well, and you get the sense of the burden of it, right? Like, they are just so... They're just tired. How down, yeah, weary from this, right? 
man, like it, it's, it is. It's so. I mean, you talk again. I mean, this thing is just sad across the board, right? But here again, you just have that. It's just a sadness. It's such. It's so tragic, right? That they, you know, they swore this oath and and are just unable to to give it up. And it just shows again. Um, like it, it almost reminds me of of the kind of weariness that comes from bearing the ring, right? Like it just drains you with this this desire to possess, right? And uh, I don't know, maybe Tolkien's saying something about that desire in general, you know? Yeah, Kara. And I wonder if it's almost because like they when they finally get it, um, throughout the is that the movie? Yeah, Aeon, yeah. who wouldn't let them kill them. They're like, oh, there's two of us left, there's two cylinders left. It's obviously meant to be. Yeah. But it's not like when Gollum finally gets the ring and he falls into the chasm mountain. Like the one falls into the chasm yeah. and the other one falls into the, jumps into the sea. Yeah, so throws, 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 throws yeah. the silver and then yeah. sinks it out the rest of his days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, even though these evil or bad people got it and maybe it wasn't supposed to happen that way, it still worked out for the best in the end. Like the, what was supposed to happen still happened. Right. Or maybe happened because they had them. Well, yeah, both probably. But, but also the, the irony, the bitter irony of the fact that when they do finally get it, like they've yeah. striven for, for years and years, for centuries even, to, to go after these things and sacrifice so much everything, basically, to get them. And then they finally get them, and it's nothing but pain and sorrow. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's, the, it's like the worst possible scenario for them, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, there's a kind of, I don't know, like, is, it, is there justice in this at all? Or do you get the sense that they get what they deserve for Daniel? I think they actually did the right thing with them in the end. Morgoth, it burned him too, but he kept them. Yep. And he did everything he could to keep them, but at least the sons realized we don't want these anymore. We got rid of them. Well, yeah. 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 Okay, so you have the final kin slain. And uh, Elwing... Uh, is changed into a bird and flies and meets Arendil. And then they, uh, using the Silmaril, they, they go into the west. I love that, that bit, by the way, when they, the Silmaril kind of cuts through the enchantments and, uh, and the Teleri see them coming. I think it was really kind of cool. Uh, okay, so let's talk a bit about um, Arendil and the Valar and Elwing and the, like that when they get to Valar. What, what strikes you about that? Uh, yeah, Ben? I just want to say there it does say specifically there were other people with him because there was three mariners who had sailed the seas beside him. Right. Talk about Ariel, so that's right. Have a crew. Are we still in... Well, I, I don't know. They, 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 each have, no, they each have their own ship is how I thought that was, but I may have misread that. It does take more than one person to run a ship, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Oh, each of these mariners were on their own ship, though. Yeah, weren't they? Or, or like, he, like he was... Well, no, but it just says that there was the coming of one ship. Who had sailed all the seas beside him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. That's his crew. Because, but how do they send them home? Don't they send those guys home on a ship? Yeah, it's a different ship. Oh, it's a different ship. But it's a... But I was wondering if it was one of the ships that they came... Anyway, okay. Um, so, yeah. So, they arrive uh, in Valinor, and, um, yeah... Jesse. Uh, one thing that's always kind of confused me is are the children of a man and an elf human or elven? Because Yerendo is one is a half well, I don't know if he's a half elf, but is he like is Yerendo a human? Or an elf? Well 
he ultimately becomes? Well, he's, he's, he's all of the above. The answer is yes. <laughs> right? In fact, in fact, Arendil now is representative of... Okay, so here we go. So let me think about this. So, so through his father, right, he is Noldor, right? That's Turgon. Or through his mother, right? Uh, through his father, that would be Tuor. So you have the house of, of Hador, right? Through his grandmother, Rion, you have the house of Baor, because she's from the house of Baor, right? Through his... Um, Like, like he's all because he's also connected to Baron and Luthien, right? So that gives you the Maya and again the Elvish, right? And also the Sin, you know, the Sindar, right? Like, like Arendil has has the blood of of everybody in it, of everything, but right? What about the other unions? Like, is Dior human or elf? Bayor yes. Oh, who? Bayor is human. No, Dior uh, is son. Oh. Dior is half, right? Because Luthien is Elvish and Baron just become human. Well, so when it was only the House of Arendil that ended up choosing right. which one they yeah. were. Yes. But she was given wasn't she given the choice to have the fate of men or the fate of elves? Luthien was. Yeah. Luthien was, yes. But I don't know I don't I know if I think, know if, I think yeah, I think she's still an elf, but she would become more she would die. Okay. Not that she would be transformed into that, a, that was always like a little yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah so but let me just figure out again I had it in my head I got to figure it out again on these on these family trees in the back of how um, Baron is connected. Oh no 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 he marries into Baron Luthien. Elwing is yes. is related yeah. to is the daughter of Dior. Yes. Right. And Dior is the son of Baron Luthien. So he marries into Baron Luthien. Well, he's still kind of connected to Baron Luthien by like. Yeah, I'm trying to figure yeah. out. Yeah, who, who, I'm, I'm looking at. So, Tour and on the one of B or the old, because Baron and Luthien are the son. Or Baron right, is so the son of Barahir. Oh, his father is Gregor, and Gregor last was the father. Right, Rian, was that's father. what it was. Yeah. The father of Rion, right? Yeah. So it's through Rion that he's connected to Baron and Luthien, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, because this is the question, right? The, the, or at least the question that I've had is. Why doesn't when Luthien sings to Mandos about the plight of the two houses? Why does and it moves Mandos more than anything else? Why doesn't Luthien move the Valar to to do this? Right, but it's because Luthien does not represent everybody the way Arendil does. Arendil becomes the the one, right? So so he's the one that's able to to make the the Valar do their thing. Um, so Arendil. Elwing are a couple? Yes. yes. Oh, is Arendel the father of Elrond and Elrond? Yes. yes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> right. So because yeah, and that's why that's why the Valar say to Elrond and Elros that they have the choice, right? And Elrond chooses to be a member among the, the elves and tour among men. Elros Elros among men. Right. Yeah. But their children after that don't have a choice? They do, they, they do have a choice. Oh, yeah. Elrond's uh, children. Elrond's children. Children. children have the choice. But Elros don't. Well, see. If you become yeah. an elf, you're just cool and you get to keep the choice because you picked the right choice. If you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. 
Or they pick the wrong choice and they're given another chance to choose. See, I'm not sure, and I should have I should have prepared better for this one, but I thought I did. I'm, now I'm not sure, right? Because, like, I don't know. Like, Arwen chooses the way of Luthien, but I don't know. I'm I'm not 100 percent certain if that choice is because she is of Elrond's or because she is. Luthien sort of come, you know what I mean? Like, I but just by virtue of that, it is given to any in their line. Yeah, but you don't get the sense that. Is that what brothers told creatures? Yeah, I'm. That's fine. That's fine. You mean like Ella here and El, like those two? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe I don't remember that group ever hearing about the choice that they made. Because then the question would be, would Aragorn's and Arwen's children be able to choose? And they, right? they already have. Well, that's why I'm. That's why I was. I think it's a late given to Elrond. He does. Yeah, that's because he's an Elrond. Just a special case. Yeah, Elrond's a Luthien case. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, that's probably also his Luthien because he didn't know his grand Luthien was going to happen at that point, right? So maybe that was just his. Trying. Put this in my story, just in case. Because it says to Arendil and to Elwyn and to their sons shall be given leave each to choose freely which kindred their fate shall be joined. Now you could read sons as in generation. Well, you could also read just their sons, like Elros and Elrond get to choose, right? Right. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I read sons as like, because in the family tree under Elros, it has the kings of Numenor and all that stuff. So since he chose to go the path of men, all his descendants had to be men after him. Right. Elrond had help, so right. there wouldn't be any more of their children after him. That's what I would think. So again, our, so then, then if that's true, then Arwen's choice is again another kind of sort of unique thing. Not based on the judgment of the vow. But I but I'm not hundred percent on that. I Otherwise like Aragorn could have chosen to be right, exactly. to yeah. like right. the other way. And he was also king, so he probably didn't have that choice like but obligation wise. Worried about Zach. Maybe no one told them about the choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to be elvish. Okay, yeah. what? There's several dozen, yeah. you know, Gen- like kings and like generations. There's like one generation to our way. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Yeah, certainly. I would, maybe I'm wrong, but I always thought it was like just because mortality is the gift of like Illuvatar, not even just the Valor, it's actually Illuvatar. But I thought that like just because, um, I should blank up. What's Elrond's brother? Elrond. Elrond. Because he chose the gift, he would make it for like his children so that even. Whereas if like, because Elrond also like like wouldn't have taken the gift. 
Yeah, so one of the you're right, right? That's what makes this event so sort of unique, right? That Monway can make that decision that those that Elrond and Elros get the choice, right? Um, but I don't know. I still, I still feel like I'm gonna have to awful look into it because I still feel like I've seen arguments that suggest that Arwen, Arwen's choice is because of this. So I'd have to look and see. Um, okay, uh, I love this. You know, so you have you, you have a, a kind of nice reversal here, where if you remember, we talked about um, typologies way back when, and how um, one of the typologies or one of the sort of recurring kind of narratives is the fact that bad things always seem to happen when there's a big party, right? <laughs> and now you have another big party, and, and and the narrator actually goes out of his way to say, just as before, there's this big celebration. But of course, now you have the big reversal, right? Instead of this terrible catastrophe that happens, it's the catastrophe, right? So I think that that's 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 significant. Um, so Arendil, um, he comes and he gives his plea for for the people of Middle Earth, and the Valar this time listen, and um, they come. Yeah, Jordan. I, I mean, we kind of skipped over, but the moment when he arrives and it's just empty. Yeah. <laughs> just, where is everybody? <laughs> yeah, well, not just empty, but like like dusty empty. Is yeah. It? Like no one has lived there for years. <laughs> you know? So maybe it was a really long celebration. <laughs> and it could be, I guess, and time is longer than it would. But yeah, you're right. He walks through this deserted this deserted city and uh, until he's hailed. And and the, and the language of the hailing, right, of the hail was amazing, right? Hail, Arendelle. Mariner's most renowned, the looked for that cometh at unawares, that's you catastrophe. The longed for that cometh beyond hope. Hey, hail Arendel, bearer of light before the sun and moon, splendor of the children of earth, star in the darkness, jewel in the sunset, radiant in the morning. I mean what a what a what a welcome. Okay. <laughs> I worked all night for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should memorize that and when people come late to the book study, we should but anyway, I mean, this is this is this is the big you catastrophe, right? The look for that cometh at unawares, the long for that cometh beyond hope. That is, mm-hmm. in essence, the you catastrophe. Everyone know what you catastrophe is? Oh, since yesterday, <laughs> right? So catastrophe is just it, it just means an event, right? Uh, you put an EU on the front of it is the Greek prefix for good. Because you can have a discatastrophe too, right? Which is a bad, a bad catastrophe. Which is how we usually use the term yeah. catastrophe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, you catastrophe is, you know, the sudden joyous turn, unexpected, beyond all hope. The eagles uh, are coming. Gollum falling into the lava. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, I... I, I uh, well, remember, you remember the catastrophe in the Hobbit? It wasn't the eagles, right? The goblins. The goblins, <laughs> right? Which is really interesting. I mean, the eagles are kind of catastrophe, right? And then, um, yeah. And then, of course, the Lord of the Rings. There's there's a number of them. Um, you could you could you could possibly say, and we talked about this yesterday too, that the greatest you catastrophe of all in all of the history of Middle Earth was Gollum's compassion for, for Bilbo's <laughs> compassion for Gollum, right? Which which changes changed everything. 
Okay. Okay, so you have the War of Wrath. What do you make of that? I wanted more. Uh, oh no, actually, before we do that, we have this, the, the setting of the Ving, of uh, Vingalot into, into the heavens. Um, First Elven spaceship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we're supposed to think about that. Actually, it's well, we will, right? <laughs> like, like it's it's not a. I mean, this is myth, right? So it's not like we're supposed to imagine him actually traveling, you know, through the stars in a, in a craft, right? But he does come know. down and find it in Kelicon later <laughs> on his flying ship. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Does. Well. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's yeah. Okay, that's fine. Think what you want. But I think if you Again, wow, it's, how, do, how do you say this? Like, it's, it's the void, right? And the void is not sort of a literal place, right? It's, it's sort of a, it's, it's, it's a kind of reality of some kind or something, right? It's, it's not like you can uh, see a Lucas. Um, you know, it's kind of like in Christian theology, the idea of heaven as a place. It's not like you can get in a spaceship and start going into space, and eventually you're going to get to heaven. Right? So, and that, that's what I mean by I don't think we should see it as that kind of a ship. No, it's kind of What's that? Somebody should have told us the people of Babel. Yeah, right, exactly. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay, Jordan and Ben. Oh, and then Jesse. Yeah. I guess the, the weirdest thing about that is that the star is real. Like, right. You, you know, it's the Silmarils up in the sky. Yeah. They, they see it, they can capture it, it's life, because that's what Frodo gets. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, I just, you know. But then again, it's it's myth, right? I mean, it'd be the same thing as saying the star is Venus, right? Yeah, of course, we can all see the star there, right? But the star is not actually Venus. Like, the god, the Greek god is Venus. You know what I mean? Like, it's a myth of, it's a way of ex- kind of explaining... But but I don't you know but not literally in a sense you know you know what I mean uh, okay and then and then who was oh Ben and then I think Jesse uh, well, I, I kind of said this way back in the uh, on Lindelay but it's not the like capital V void that Morgoth went to it's just the starless void it's, it's just space it's a spaceship you're really pushing that spaceship Ben <laughs> I my favorite part was elves in space. <laughs> that was a I mean, I mean, this is like, 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 it's, it's behind, behind this is what, what Vingalot and what the Silmo represent for the elves now, right? It, they represent hope, right? It's Estelle. So I think, I think, yeah, okay, we can think about elves in space, but I don't, I think. If we, you know, if, if we stop there, we miss the point, I think, right? That there's something deeper and more significant going on with this than just, hey, great, now the elves are flying around in spaceships in space like Star Trek, right? That's not what this is, right? I don't think that's not the point that Tolkien is making. He went on to become the first Vulcan and Star Trek occurs. And that's how we got to the Star, Star Trek occurs in the same universe as Tolkien. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to convince you. You can't stop it, Rick. <laughs> this is happening. This is a great conversation for the Reddit page. Yes, yes, it would. Um, or you could just have something and put it in the journal. 
Yes, that would yeah. be a good idea. Ben, write up a story about Elvis' oh face God, and put it in the journal. Do it, do it. I may have to work on that on during the summer, though. Okay. Maybe I'll make an exception for a late submission. About <laughs> <laughs> Elvis in space and how they're Vulcans. <laughs> okay, oh, Nick's off. Sorry, Nick, we didn't get the Acalabat. Yeah, yeah, well, so next is there going to be the next year? Next week, we're just going to do Rings of Power. Oh. So. Sorry. Figures. Yeah. That's what happens when you schedule your classes over this time. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, too. I am, too. This is what you get for being a responsible student. Uh, Jesse, do you have something on this? Uh, and then we want to get to the war graph. It's just an interesting mix of myth and probably true fact, because you said he does come down and fight again in a flying ship against the dragon. Plus, he also, like, Elwing doesn't go with him. Yeah. He comes around and visits her again. Right. She's sad, isn't she? The Valor have to like convince her that this was supposed to happen because, like, you can't come here and be mortal and then go back to her. Yeah, right, yeah. But, but I think the War of Wrath is still, we're still kind of in a sense in the realm of myth, right? Uh, you know, because myth partly is, is to explain, right? So the question is, well, how do we explain the flooding of Valerian, right? So you come up with a story to explain that. Right? Uh, I mean, we may think, you know, <laughs> ge geologically speaking, it may have been a very natural. Event that flooded the area. No, I think they're just going around bashing it with hammers. Yeah, or that. <laughs> right? Uh, Shelby and then Matthew. Yeah, I agree with that. This is written, even with the War of Wrath. It's, it, it may be written by the elves, but how many elves were actually there still and Great. that did return to the West? Um, it's especially like I remember reading something recently about Engalicon and smashing the three towers of Thingorodrum, mm. and it's like the size of that yeah. dragon. Like yeah. That, that's yeah. like in the realm of myth already, right. and it's like, okay, I imagine the flying ship as like a Viking ship personally, yep. so I'm not right. going there, but um, it's, it really... Um, it's uh, the elves writing history and they're glorifying it. Like you can compare it to the sack, sack of Troy and the right. and stuff like that. It's like yes. those are similarly telling history, but telling it in the fantastical sense of we believe this happened yeah. or we uh, attribute this to our gods, even if this did, did, yeah. isn't exactly how that happened. It's like a historicized fiction. So that's fictional. I saw Angelicon fall and then went and measured. Just that picture. That he destroyed all three mountains. Yeah, yeah seriously, he's a mariner. He saw the ship. He was like, I like that ship. Bang. You know, saw that. So, okay, so then we have the War of Wrath. Um, we have the, the. I like the fact that the Vanyard uh, go along with this. They really. And Finarfin goes as well, and it makes me wonder if Finrod went or not. He's not mentioned, but he would technically be there. So unless he was reincarnated after the Lord's Wrath, which is possible, I guess. Maybe he still falls in Mandos. Uh, Matthew and then Daniel. Yeah, I have a question I didn't really understand which elves went to the War of Wrath, because it says the Vanyard, the people of Ingwe, and those also the Noldor who never departed from Valinor. So I'm just wondering 
So the Vanyar are the elves who came from Middle-earth to Valinor and then didn't rebel, and so didn't leave. They never left Valinor. They so lived there since Nondor there. Yes. Yes. Didn't they also not live in the city? They lived away. The right. They lived, They stayed at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, at the foot of Tenebrae, to be close to Valinor. So the Noldor never did any fighting in the last battle. Yeah, and well, because there were some Noldor that didn't go into Middle-earth. Oh, I mean the exile of Middle-earth. Right, because it says, like, it even says that that um, they couldn't say much about it because they weren't there. Like, where does it say that? Um, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what you're pointing to. Of the march of the host of the Valor to the north of Middle-earth, little is said in any tale, for among them went none of those elves who had dwelt and suffered in the hitherlands and who made the history of those days that are still known. So the Noldor of Middle-earth were not part of the Battle of the War well, of course not. There's hardly any of them left, right? Or the Sindar. So, or the Sindar, I right. I can't believe that, though, because it said the last of the Adain went to avenge their fathers, but the elves never, they just kind of didn't go. And in that case, you can definitely say this is like the, the, the Sack of Troy. It's one of those very, if the Adain went, you could get the story through them, but like most tales by men, they're passed down via word of mouth and yeah. gone through and men seeing the Valar suddenly show up and with a whole host of elves that they've never seen before it would right. be quite the tale yeah. in the armor of, of Valinor etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much room for yeah. mythologizing it. Uh, Dan, Ashley is right to that question. Did the Valar actually come? I didn't see anywhere. Yes. Of the march of, oh, of the host of the Valar. So that can either mean the host of the Valar, or that, that is not the Valar, but there are elves and the Yahweh. But I imagine it could also be the host of the Valar, which would be the Valar. But yeah, because I think it would take the Valar to take out Morgoth. Mm -hmm. Right? They chain him with his crown. I mean, it's interesting that Tulkus isn't mentioned. Yeah, it never mentions Tulkus or yeah. Rome or any of the yeah. Valar by name. Um, and. I think when it says the meeting of the hosts of the west and of the north, I, I, my sense is that the Valar come. But Morgoth never left his uh, key fighter in the whole battle. Right. Uh, yeah, Matthew? I think the Valar definitely do come because it's the sentence for the host of the Valar who are arrayed in forms young and fair and terrible. Because it says arrayed in forms, I would assume that would be the Valar because the elves have that. They could, or it could be the Maya. Yeah, exactly. You always have uh, but then you have a, on the, the page over, then the sun rose and the host, there's the host of the Valor again, prevailed. And well nigh all the dragons were destroyed and all the pits of Morgoth were broken and unroofed. And the might of the Valor descended into the deeps of the earth. That strikes me again as the Valor themselves. There Morgoth stood at last at bay and yet unvaliant, so of course. Um, he's bound. Then Aonway is herald of the elder king, summon the elves of Larian to depart from Middle Earth. That sounds well. My sense is, is that the Valor are there. Which, which, oh yeah, Ben. Well, like, it also, because with uh, Madros and Maglor, when they need to, like, when they want to get out of the oath, <laughs> it said that they need to go back to Valinor to talk to the Valor. Mm -hmm. So either the Valor, like, 
were just in and out really quickly and then everyone else was slow to return or they weren't there and it was just like a blessed host of like the blessed army my sense for something like that though is that is that that kind of sort of trial would happen like you'd have to have them come from a sort of a judgment seat of them, right so they wouldn't do it on the on the field they would go home and bring them yeah. you know, stand in the halls of bandits right. and have yeah. him officially right something like that yeah yeah Sarah Lynn She probably would have just stayed in, in Lorien. But yeah, Olorin, maybe. Right? Um, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's interesting how, yeah, how, it's how no names are mentioned. Like, you'd think Monway, Tolkien especially. Exactly. Like, when, when Morgoth's feet are hewn from beneath him, why isn't it Tolkien doing it? Right, exactly. Yeah. I feel like it's probably just Yeah, I guess. Well, one of the elves, like, there was one elf that would took on Morgoth one on one. All of these elves, and they were all high elves that lived in the light of uh, Valinor. Wouldn't they have been able to do even more all of them together? And like I'm thinking back to when the elves first landed, and they just ruined the entire land and walked right up to Morgoth's door. Like this is the yeah. kind of elves that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, Shelley. There's also the fact that um, you could take that as vague talking about the Valar because. None of the writers were there. Right. So they say the mind of the Valar. They, it, it, they allude to uh, Morgoth's feet being cut out from under him. But how many of them were actually there to see that? How many people could... It, if we can say we got this story from the men, how many of the men would have recognized that Valar is that Valar is that Valar? Right. Or even if we're considering who of the Noldor might have been there. Most of them sailed afterwards, so you'd have like Círdan, Elrond, and Galadriel really staying. If, depending on how young Elrond is, he might not know. Like say, theoretically speaking, he's one of the ones that is writing. He doesn't have experience of some, a lot of the Noldor were born after. Um, they were exiled, so they wouldn't have experience of the Valar themselves. There's not a lot of right. those left. Uh, yeah, certainly. If, like, and I think the battle went out, but if they would have, that's the first time they fought alongside the children. Because last time when they, and I mean, Morgoth didn't know this was coming, I guess, which right. seems a little arrogant of him. But, um, like, um, because last time it was right after the elves, like, had just awoken, they were right. off, like, over yeah. entirely shielded from yeah and, and that's a good point that's what I that's where I wanted to head and, and get to so it's good that we're there now I think that does anyone remember why the Valar were hesitant to go after Morgoth the second time because they destroyed stuff yeah like right. they completely Middle Earth was originally symmetrical it yes. was no longer right. that to me is an indication that it's the Valar because of the destruction right I mean Valerian is basically and I think that raises the question, too, because we've raised, like, why don't the Valor do something? We've been kind of asking that throughout. Why are they waiting? I think this is why they're waiting. I don't think, I don't think the Valor coming is necessarily a good solution 
to anything, right? Because it's so freaking destructive. Hi, Alex. Hail, Alex! The <laughs> mariner's most renowned. The look for that cometh at unawares, the long for that cometh beyond hope. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't think I'm bringing any hope, though. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the War of Wrath. Oh, excellent. We're, the question is whether the Valor, we're wondering whether the Valor actually came. Oh! That, that is a good question. I, 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 don't, I don't have any, uh, I think they did come. Also, I think they're stupid for not coming earlier. That's why I went to Sunday Okay, so, yeah. uh, favorably. Right. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, my, my thing was, basically, the Valar come. And you don't you don't get it as strongly as you do actually until the uh, the rings of power, right? Mm -hmm. Where it says uh, in the great battle, this is the war of wrath. No thanks. And the tumults of the fall of Thangorodrin, there were mighty convulsions in the earth, and Valerian was broken and laid waste. And northward and westward, many lands sank beneath the waters of the great sea. Right. So in essence, Valerian is sunk to the bottom. That to me is a good reason why the Valor shouldn't come. But, but if they come earlier, then thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands would not have died or suffered or been tortured. Well, it's one of these. Yeah, yeah, Alex. Well, they're still survivors. Like, there are people who were in that battle who are still lived. So I think that indicates that even though Valerian is destroyed, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, they could have had a plan for, because, like, a lot of the elves that were in that battle still lived after the right. first time. <laughs> like, they didn't get totally killed no. by the same Valerian. Right. But but there there still is, there has to be a sort of sense of loss with the loss of Valerian. Right. And, and so I think the Valar's hesitancy, like, for some reason, the Valar can't do anything without just being destructive. Right? So... You know, so it seems to me that one of the reasons that they are maybe hesitating is like, we actually kind of like Valerian. We don't want to actually destroy it, but if we come, and look at look at the Akalabeth, right? When they decide to, you know, end that, right? Same thing, a massive cataclysm, the whole island of Numenor is drowned. The Valor can't do anything with any subtlety, right? Except maybe Ulmo, right? So it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's like, even though we want the Valar to come, I still don't think the Valar is the best solution, right? Even maybe in, in the end it's the only one, but it's, I don't think it's the best one. Uh, Jesse and then uh, Sarah Lynn and Alex. Jessica, did you have your hand up? Your just for fun. Oh, just for fun, okay. Yeah, so Jesse, Sarah Lynn, Alex. I don't understand how they're so destructive because like the only people that they really have to be matching power against is Morgoth, and he doesn't seem to fight at all. Mm -hmm. And yeah, other than that, it's just orcs and Balrogs and dragons, maybe. But they, I don't understand why they'd have to have that earth-shattering amount of power, I guess, against those when the elves are able to deal with them. I know it's okay. Daniel's because the last time they missed it, last time they got away. And, and, and also remember from, from a mythological perspective, right, the Valar are sort of the powers, right? Like Umo is the sea, right? So so 
when Umo acts up, it's the sea acting up, right? When Mon, you know what I mean? So when Monwe acts up, it's a hurricane, right? Because he is the air. So it seems to me that, that the Valor are sort of destructive by their very nature, right? In, in the mythological sense, right? So they can't, that's why maybe, again, they're kind of hesitating. They're like, well, if we do this, I mean, it's going to, right? Yeah, Sarah Lynn.
he was essentially begging for forgiveness on the part of every yeah. line of Middle Earth, and I think yeah. that was what needed to happen, is someone needed to say, oh, this was dumb, yeah. we're really sorry. Yeah. And maybe it was a point of, I don't know, pride, but, you know, like, of the principle of the thing, like, the Valar can't intervene until someone says they're sorry. Well, that's an interesting point, right? Because everybody was sort of knew that hope would have to come from the West, right? But it wasn't maybe until Arendel finally said, okay, let's, you know, now granted, you know, Turgon did send people, right, to look for him. So. But, but he had the magic ingredient, the soul. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jesse and then Matthew. I think part of the problem, too, is the Valar don't have any sense of time. Yeah. And then Arendel coming saying, hey, guys, it's been hundreds of years and things are really, really fast. Whoa, really? That's, mm. uh, yeah, it seems like it was only yesterday that Morgoth. Yeah. <laughs> really? yeah, that could be something like that. Yeah. There's, there's something we had to do today. <laughs> the next day, everyone's dead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Matthew and then Sarah Lynn. Yeah, just to speak to your theory, Rick, I, I agree that the Valar probably wouldn't want to come in because they might wreck Valerian again. But I, just from the, these three lines I found, where Melkor set new lies abroad in Eldamar, uh, and then it jumps to, for the Valor were ill-pleased that the Silmarils played in Tyrion and were not committed to their keeping. And also because the lies of Melkor grow in Feanor until he rebels against them. And so when Monway says his judgment, that, uh, that neither will they hinder you, for this he shall know, as he came hither freely, freely shall he depart. So, Manway and the Valar didn't want to try and stop them because that would be showing that Melkor's lies were actually true because they would be prisoners of the Valar mm-hmm. rather than free. And then, just the reason I think that's important is because uh, in the War of Wrath, it says, moreover, he thought that he had forever estranged the Noldor from the lords of the West, even though that's like, that's talking about Melkor, so I thought if the Valor went into Valerian too soon, it would be like the followers of Feanor originally would just think Melkor's lies were right and the Valor would mm-hmm. try to over keep them as prisoners or take the Silver Oath or something along those lines. And then, uh, yeah, I, I think Arendelle, it maybe wasn't that the Valor last, lost track of time, but his coming showed that the elves and everybody were actually ready to have their help because if it had come sooner it could have just been playing to the last few of them. Okay. That is just, just yeah, another that's, that's good. Yeah. Sarah Lynn? I just think it's interesting that um, it was the Silmarils that essentially started this like got the Noldor exiled yeah. um, created and I mean Mogoth took them and all of this Silverwells at the beginning, 
So remember the Silmarils, it's the, like we talked a bit about this last week, but the Silmarils, the, what's, what's very different about the Silmarils and the ring is that the ring is in fact evil, right? Where the Silmarils are not, right? They're beautiful, right? So yeah, it makes, so, so, but it is a nice turn, right? Where it was the Silmarils that sort of drove, that has been driving everything and, and everything going so badly. And now it's the Silmarils that actually leads to, to the hope and the good news, right? I mean, I think that's a wonderful turn that you're, that you're noticing here. I think it's also uh, interesting that the crown, that we, we've talked about Morgoth's crown, right? It was such a burden to him. And now it is beaten into a collar that is, you know, still a burden in so many ways. What do you think of Morgoth's final... So that comes up, and so Morgoth sort of has to Basically come. Basically, Ragnarok and the Lord. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Arendel was, you know, was flying around under the snake. Yeah. Does he fight in the land in the land of Arendel? I have to look at it. See, it's got to be in the history of the Lord somewhere where he does that. I have to look at Or maybe it's in the Book of Lost Tales. Well, it is history. Yeah, there's one story that Arendel. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the Akalabad. What time, what's our time? One's twelve. Okay, yeah, perfect. All right, Alex, start us off. Okay, I have lots of thoughts about the Akalabad. Um, the first one is, again, it's like if you read the, the tale of the people of Adamel, it, it reads a lot like yeah, that. It's yeah, kind of like yeah. just rehashing of that. Yeah. Second of all, this one really felt to me like, a, like I mean, maybe not a conscious commentary, but it really felt to me like a subconscious commentary on modern life and like the more rejection of religion, but also more like becoming more worldly and prideful and greedy. And so yeah. it really read to me as like its own little story of 
that that tied whether Tolkien probably did not intend it to tie, but to me it tied really heavily into modern life. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, I mean, I, I read this again, and it, it sounds so much like First and Second Kings. Yeah. Right. In, in the Old Testament. Right. Things just get worse and worse and worse. And, okay. Anyone else? So just initial comments. somewhere that the Valar don't like the men as much as the elves because of the death thing because like the Valar don't know what the death or like what comes after men die and so they're kind of fearful I don't remember if I heard that here or if I was just reading online but I heard that that's in like the Valar yeah I heard I heard that somewhere Right, why didn't they? Hereditary stepchild. 
Well, no. I mean, the, what the, one of the reasons was for, like the same reason we talked about, right? That be, because because of, they were afraid that if they went in again, they would be it would destroy perhaps the, the children, but they didn't even know where they were, right? So there is something about the Valar again, kind of, and again because I think it goes back to maybe the, the myth, mythology of it that these are the powers of the world, right? That they're kind of saying we can, we can't just keep. It's, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah, I wish Tolkien were here to answer some of these questions, right? Because you do have, like, you do have a role Moro made running around, right, and doing stuff. So I don't know why all the Valor couldn't do that, except for some reason they are thinking we got to be careful because if we all come storming in there, we're going to wreak havoc on everything, right? And the very place, the very people we're trying to protect might be destroyed by our arrival, right? So, so that seems to be why they don't. Um, then add to that the fact that they're very aware that men are unique in terms of the song, right? So the Valor are also, I think, and, and whether this is justified or not, they're also kind of saying, let's not, maybe not, maybe we better be careful about how we deal with these people because they are sort of doing their own thing, right? Again, is that a good enough reason? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out. I'm, st I'm still upset about the Valor not coming to help the men when they were first awakened. And like you're saying, it would be better if Tolkien can answer these questions, mm -hmm. but of course there's like tension. So if we look at Tolkien's views that he wrote into Finrod in their debate, and Finrod is saying that like men are too great to be governed by the Valar. Um, they're sole masters of themselves under the one, and he's referring to Iluvatar. Mm -hmm. So it's like the elves could be the Valor could be shepherds for the elves, but not the men. Uh, but then that kind of, for me, suggested that the men have their great destiny, like Finrod suggested they should deliver the elves from Melkor. But in the in the last, in the Battle of Wrath, the, the Adain fought, but really it was the Valar, I would say, who more delivered. It was Arendelle, I guess. Mm -hmm. So the men kind of delivered them, but it, it was more a union between. Okay, yeah, Jesse? Well, the only real interaction between Numenor and the Valar was when they set up this island that was within sight of Valinor and said he could never come here, mm. ever. That, that was super cruel on their part. Yeah, yeah. especially because they're master shipbuilders and explorers and that sort of thing. It's like, he can't, he can't come over here, this is our special little clubhouse. No men allowed. Now, the other thing to remember, though, about the, so the relationship between the men and the Valar, right, is the men of Numenor, I mean, remember who they are. They are the Adain, right? They're not just any men, right? These are the men who fought in the Wars of Valerian. They're the ones who connected most to the Noldor, right, who would have told them these stories, right? It's not like they were just men that were completely bereft of any influence from the Valar. Elros, the first king of Numenor, is the son of Arendil. I mean, it's not like they didn't know about the Valar, they didn't know about, you know what I mean? So, it's, you know, like, I don't think that we can sort of let them off the hook and say, wow, yeah, look how bad they turned, of course. They, they didn't know better, right? I think they knew very well what they were supposed to do, right? So, um, and in terms of the ban, I, you know, I think that, that yeah, what, I mean, Valinor is, it, was, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, like the Valar were saying, you know, we're making this, we're making this sort of generic arbitrary rule that men can't come here, right? 
What, like, what happens when Arendil gets there? Right? What does Mando say? He can't ever go back. Right, but not at first, right? It's Olmo that has to convince the Val, right? Mando says, what are we going to do now? A man showed up. We, that's, this can't happen. And then Olmo has to say, yeah, but this is, he was born for this, right? So he's sort of this unique... But the, and, then, and then the Valar say, like they, they say to the men of Numenor, they say, look, it's, coming to Valinor isn't going to give you immortality. That's, you can't have immortality. And that's not us saying to you, you can't be immortal. That's, you're created that way. We can't do anything about that, right? So, so the, the, sort of the ban is not sort of this arbitrary rule. It would be like, they, they just can't go there anyway. Even if the Valar, even if the Valar it's, hey, come on, come on. Like, the Valor aren't permitted to kind of make that decision, I think. Yeah, Um, I would argue against that. Nice. <laughs> I would argue that the men's lust for immortality is their, like, a fault, because, of course, they can't be immortal. But I would also argue that the ban is arbitrary because the Valor's placement in the world is arbitrary. They were originally part of Middle-earth, right? Like, they started on Middle-earth. The elves started in Middle-earth. The men started in Middle-earth. So I would think it would make sense that naturally the Valar and the Elves and the men were all supposed to coexist and all supposed to learn from each other and all supposed to live together despite not all of them being immortal. So I would say the ban put up maybe makes sense now in this context of the Valar have already separating themselves so much, but I don't think it's like a natural thing that should have like necessarily had to occur from the beginning. I think it's a result of the Valar's choices when they arrive in Middle-earth. So I think, yeah, yes, yeah. men yeah. Should, should not yeah. be lusting for immortality, mm -hmm. but I do think that having the land be immortal isn't necessarily the way to prevent that lust. I mean, it is a good question. Right. The question of whether the men would become wearier, quicker, with it if they lived among the immortals, but I don't think it was the natural order that the Valar should be split from the men. Okay. Uh, Corinne? Well, and just to add on to that, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not thinking that necessarily the men would have to live in Valinor because I don't think it's the place that, it, like, it's certainly not the place that gives immortality. It's just the fate of those that live there, and like the Valar saying, like they can't, they can't change the fate of men. But I didn't understand the ban on like why they can't visit and why they can't learn and interact because the Valor make it very clear: we can't change you, will die, we can't do anything about it. But say, oh well, you, uh, you. Uh, die so you can't come here and I think that in some way fuels the immortality because once you're they, they get farther and farther removed from the influence of the valor you know history changes oral history gets muddled that that I feel like that's a key thing in them thinking that they can get immortality if they go there and that's why the ban was put up versus the valor having an isolationist sort of policy in all the world so I think in that way that the ban is arbitrary and detrimental to sort of that particular society at that time. Hmm. Okay, Sarah Yeah, I agree. I think like it's almost like the Valor petty sounds like a weird word to use, but it's almost like they were like, well, we invited the we invited the elves to Valon. That obviously didn't work out well. So when the second children wake up, we're just like it's almost like they when they, like, Ome went over and brought the elves over, and they were like, well, maybe that's not such a good idea. Now they were like, well, let's not do this again, and maybe that's not a good idea, but it's almost like 
a gift, and I think that the Balorans somewhat did understood that it was a gift, uh, like mortality was a gift, that that might have helped and would have made them less susceptible to like like Solon's lies, which yeah, <coughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, I mean, those are all great points, uh, and it could very well be that you're right that the Valor are saying, yeah, we screwed up with the elves, so now we're not going to let anyone here, right? Because that's now, that doesn't change the fact that they could have gone to Numenor, I suppose, right, if they wanted to. I think we're also, we're also, um, and I don't know the history of this story, you know, but, but we're also moving from myth to narrative, right, is another thing. So, so the mythological components are kind of being sort of separate, you know what I mean? So I think from a narrative point of view that Tolkien is sort of trying to work out how can we get to England, right? Right, and so so at some point you have to kind of say, okay, the mythical stuff has to fade, right? And now people have to. So that by the time you get to the Lord of the Rings, it's not even really myth anymore. It's just a straight story, right? you know. So I think there's that maybe part of it as well that Tolkien is trying to come up with ways to move away from the myth and into the, you know. So and and yeah, we could maybe criticize him and saying, well, it's not consistent or it's not, you know. That's there, right? uh, Jesse and then Matthew. Going off the, the descent from. say, hey, why can't we go? Arendelle went. Like, why can't we go? I can't remember what the response of the, of the Noldor are for that. But we have to look it up. Yeah, Ben. Or no, Matthew and then Ben. Sorry. Uh, I just want to speak to Alex's point and Sarah's point about why the men aren't allowed. Like, I liked what Alex was saying about how it's unnatural that they weren't, the three of them, the Valar, the elves, and the men weren't coexisting nicely, but we can kind of just wipe all blame off the Valar if you just say that uh, this is, it was supposed to be like that, but then because of Melkor Arda became Arda Mard mm -hmm. so it's not like the Valar were necessarily the ones who marred Arda so that it was unnatural, you could blame it on Melkor so once Arda is marred that's maybe that was the reason why Feanor turned to his Melkorism and his rebellion against the Valar, and like Sarah Lynn was saying uh, they don't really trust mankind the same thing. They don't want to. Men are really susceptible to Melkorism. So, because Arda is more in the way they do, they're just trying to make do, make do with the best they can. So that's maybe why they put them back. But yeah, I'm just guessing. Okay, Ben. Uh, I don't know if anyone like actually referenced it, but it does say specifically, like right. It's on three thirteen in my paper in my book. Don't know where that be for you, but it says that. Uh, the lords of Valinor forbade them right. to sail so far westward, and the men did not understand the purpose of this man, but the design of Manway was that the Numenorians should not be tempted to seek for the blessed realm, nor to, nor desire to overpass the limits set to their bliss, becoming enamored in the immortality of the Valar and the Eldar and the lands where all things endure. Right. 
So it's like, it's a good thought, but it didn't work. Poorly explained, and you just said you can't yeah. come here instead of explaining. We don't want you to get this. But and it was Karina was saying the oral history changes. It's called the undying land, so it's kind of natural for them to think, hey, if mm-hmm. you go there, you won't die, yeah. instead of it being the land of the undying. And, and this, again, also is still the elvish understanding of why the band. They, the Elvish are kind of saying this is what the design of Monterey was as far as we know right um, but who knows right uh, yeah Alex yeah I was going to say uh, yeah, I don't know if their sentiment is correct or not because like you think about things too like Finrod would be reincarnated over there already right yeah. so like you, there would be men interacting with elves that have reincarnated which is kind of an interesting thing to think about like whether it would affect how they view death or how, how they viewed their gift you know yeah. So, it, so it is a good question of like whether or not they should be over there. But well, I don't know yeah. if the men would be reincarnated and then go to. Valor. No, 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 they wouldn't be reincarnated. But like, if men were able to overpass oh, right. the man and interact with people in Valor, like they would be interacting with elves who have been reincarnated, right. yeah. which would definitely change their view because so far men haven't done that. Right. So it would definitely change their view somehow. But like, I don't yeah. know if that would be a good thing or a bad thing. Right. Well, it raises the question, and I think I think Tolkien and, and I think Alex, you hit, you said. Tolkien is also commenting a lot of the terms, right? And and Tolkien is like, you know, we read in his letters when you ask Tolkien, what's the Lord of the Rings about? Death. It's about death, right? What's this about? It's about death, right? And so there is a sense of of a story here, a kind of myth that seems to be going around the question of 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 humanity accepting mortality, right? Which for a lot of I mean, I mean, you, you read Freud, right? Freud, it's everything that we do is is about escaping death, right? So, so it's sort of like, you know, this is the play of a very human concern, which is death, right? And and he picks up on something I think here with the band, right? Is this understanding that it is not sort of, it, it's not, it's it's normal for us as human beings to desire. Or to fear death, or to try to avoid death. I mean, you talk about the current events. I mean, look at the makeup industry, right? It's all about preventing death and aging, and right. I mean, we're obsessed with youth in our culture right now, right? So I think there's a sense here where Tolkien is is is, is hitting on something, right? And uh, you know, yeah. So I don't know what else. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, did you have your hand up? Or? No. Okay, sorry. Corinne, did you? Oh, I was saying it's also, you know, if we're talking about commentary on the modern world, the, another comment. Like, yet another, again, another commentary on industrialism. Right. Like in this one. Spent, I mean, right from Burning of Nimlock, which I'm not going to lie, I cried a little bit at yeah. that one. Um, and they're just, like, they're always wanting, like, more machines and more things figure out new and better ways and faster ways to do all of this. It's yeah. just, it's so much our world right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so let's 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 look at the story itself. So the, the Numenorians they start yeah, they, they do exactly what in a sense what Monway said they would, right? They would start envying and wanting to, to live longer, even though they already lived very long. Uh, and you get uh, 
a kind of um, okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So why don't we maybe we can read? Let's see. Is this a conversation? Okay. So in my book, it's on page two sixty four. It's not on yours, but this is when they start they start questioning. Right, they said among themselves, why do the lords of the west sit there in peace unending while, while we must die and go we know not whither, leaving our home and all that we have made? This is Andrew again, right? Uh, the Andrew that the David did with the second reading. And the elder die not, which is not true, even those that rebelled against the lords. And since we have mastered all seas and no water is so wild or so wide that our ships cannot overcome it, why should we not go to Avalone and greet there our friends? Some there some there were who said, why should we not even go to Amman and taste there? Were it but for a day, the bliss of the powers, have we not become mighty among the people of Arda? The Eldar reported these words to the Valar, and Manwe was grieved, seeing a cloud gather on the new tide of Numenar. Here again, you can raise the question, why didn't Valar step in? I don't know the answer. Oh, they did. He sent messengers to the Dunedain, who spoke earnestly to the king and to all who would listen concerning the fate and fashion of the world. The doom of the world, they said, one alone can change who made it. And, and were you so to voyage that escaping all deceits and snares, you came indeed to Amman, the blessed realm, little would it profit you, for it is not the land of Manwe that makes its people deathless, but the deathless that dwell therein and hallowed the land. And there you would but wither and grow weary the sooner as moths live in the light too strong and steadfast. But the king said, And does not their angel, my forefather, live? Or is he not in the land of Amman? which they answered, You know that he is a fate apart, and was a judge to the firstborn and die not. Yet this also is his doom, that he can never return again to mortal lands. Whereas you and your people are not of the firstborn, but are mortal men, as a Lufatar made you. Yet it seems that you desire to now to have the good of both kindreds, to sail to Valar when you will, and return when you please to your home. That's what you were kind of like. Why not? Right? Yeah, like, yeah, What's I'm arguing exactly like these concerns that the Valar have are valid, yeah. but the geographical limits are arbitrary. Mm. That cannot be, right? Nor can the Valar take away the gifts of the Lubitar. The elder, you say, are unpunished, and even those who rebel do not die. Yet that is to them neither reward nor punishment, but the fulfillment of their being. They cannot escape and are bound to this world, never to leave it so long as it lasts, for its life is theirs. You are punished for the rebellion of men, you say, in which you had small part, and so it is that you died. But that was not at first appointment for a punishment. Thus you escape and leave the world and are not bound to it in hope or in weariness. Which of us, therefore, should envy the others? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say about that, except to say that this is the arguments that they're making, right? I think the next paragraph is really Oh, okay, and the Numenor, why don't you read it out? <laughs> and the Numenorians answered, Why should we not envy the Valar, or even the least of the deathless? For us is required a blind trust and a hope without assurance, knowing not what lies before us in a little while. And yet we also love the earth and would not lose it. So that's just, this paragraph to me is like, basically, human condition. Right. That's what they're complaining about. Yeah. Which is not unusual, and in fact, in most religious tradition, this is the question, right? And now even in, in secular traditions, this is often the question, right? Um, and then you get, I mean, this is amazing how similar this is to Andrew, right? Like, like I mean, even, even the, the idea that um, the only reason that you think death is a bad thing is because the shadow has come upon it, right? But if the shadow of Morgoth had not come upon it, you would see death as what it is, a gift, right? 
I think later in his life, as Tolkien got older, he started to shift a bit, which the debate maybe uh, indicates a little bit. Um, but he's still working. He's still working on a kind of philosophy or theology that says we are according to our nature, right? And so it's our nature for human beings to die, and that's something that that has to be has to be accepted, right? Uh, despite the fact that as a Christian, right, he understood death as not the last word, right? Yeah, Alex. Yeah, and I think a part of this, like, I think a part of it is the Valar underestimating the men. And they say, like, yeah, if you go into Valinor, you're just going to be jealous that you don't get to live forever, and then that will make you sadder quicker. But I think he underestimates the fact that maybe if the men went to Valinor, they would have a better understanding of death and a better understanding of what makes them different from the elves and the Valar, and maybe that would make them more accepting of their fate as men. But yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. But, but maybe he is right, and they would get jealous quicker. It's one of those things where it's like, well, right. would they? Would, would interacting with these immortals all the time really make them wearier? Yeah. Or would that make them more knowledgeable and wiser and more accepting? I don't know. Or, I mean, certainly. Or both. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, there, probably, there may have been, there may have been some of both, right? Some would become weary, some. But how, whatever it is, the fact not going there certainly made them weary as well, right? Mm -hmm. like, so in a sense, it was almost, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So yeah, so they, oh yeah, uh, Jesse. Well, in the very next paragraph after that, um, what's your reading? The whole paragraph? <laughs> wow, well, what's our time? Because we... It's uh, 22. Oh, okay, well, nah, just maybe something. We, we want to maybe get that. Okay, well, it's partly, uh, it's partly through, and it's saying, uh, we who bear the ever-mounting burden of the years do not clearly understand this, but if that grief has returned to trouble you, as you say, then we fear that the shadow arises once more and grows again in your hearts. Therefore, though you be the Dunedain, fairest of men who escaped from the shadow of old and fought valiantly against it, we say to you, beware. Uh, and it's just, they're insulting the men. They're saying, well, if, if, it is, if you're worried about this, then you know, you're, you're probably up more about influencing you, and uh, we can't trust you. Which... It's yeah. more of an insult than a warning. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, this, and this goes back to, again, the debate, right? It's, it's like, if, if Iluvatar created you in this way, right, then, and if Iluvatar is good, right, and as much it, right, and if Iluvatar knows what is best for you and wants what is best for you, then, you know, sort of logically, you would accept this as this is a good thing, right? If you're not accepting it, then it suggests there's something, in, you know, that's sort of the logic behind it, I think. Um, we can question that, obviously, right? Uh, uh, but it seems to me that what the Eldar are saying, and what through, or what the Valar are saying through the Eldar, is saying, look, you are exactly who you were supposed to be. So what's the problem, right? And the fact that you're complaining about it does suggest there's something something else happening, and so be careful. I think that's that's how I read it. Uh, yeah, Matthew. Yeah, with the complaining thing, it kind of reminds, what they're saying is kind of reminding me of the Silverhouse, because it's like, the fact that you're putting too much importance on everlasting life is kind of like loving the Silverhouse too much. Mm. So it might be converted, they're afraid they're going to be converted to Melchorism like Feanor was, mm -hmm. and that kind of is what happens, they do get beguiled by lies because like too much, yeah. And then what happens is kind of a repeat. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, the entire thing is just the Valar seem actually really condescending to the men, who 
because they don't because then they can't seem to understand the divide, especially with so many generations between the Adain and the Dunedin. And it just comes off I found more yeah. as condescending saying, Look, if you're worried about this, it must mean that you've got evil in your hearts which doesn't seem to solve any problems. Right. And just makes more. And then especially when Sauron comes and is infiltrating them and there's they've got that the Valar just have this vague idea and blind trust. Whereas Sauron's like, hey, you should do this and it'll make you mighty and strong. And like they've got concrete proof from Sauron that Melkor is somebody worth worshipping. Whereas the Valar are just condescending and insulting and arbitrary. But you have, I mean, you're, yeah. But remember, you still you have the faithful still, right? And and these the, like why why are they who are they being faithful to, right? You know, like there is there is a sense where it's, there are people who are not falling for Sauron, right? And are not falling for the shadow and, and not falling for this idea that we have to go after immortality. So the fact that there are some people who don't do it, right, is suggestive that it was possible for no one to do it. You know what I mean? Like, so I could see if all the Numenorians. But they weren't. There was this remnant that was like, well, no, this but is not right. It was a gradual shift, though. Like, What's that? Sorry? Like it was a gradual shift, though, wasn't it? Just over time, uh, the Valor kind of fell out of favor, and then right. they found something to replace it. But I found like the remnants were more faithful to the elves than the Valor themselves, even though they would have been faithful to the Valor through the elves. It yeah. wasn't to the Valor. Yes, that's true. It was yeah. friends. Yeah. All right, so, um, yeah, okay, well, so Sauron um, shows up. He, he rises again. In the uh, we have the first mention of the One Ring. So, that's cool. Uh, so that tells us when, because we were last week, we were kind of like, when was the One Ring made? But now we know it's made in the, sometime in the Second Age. Um, and we have the, you know, we mentioned that some of the ring race were Numenorians, which we knew, but here is where it comes from. And I imagine the rings of power are maybe more detail. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what, what do you want to talk about? Advantage, but by the time he 
you know, when he meets men, he, he can look very beautiful, really wise, and just like yeah. mm-hmm. really great person. Whereas by the time Morgoth comes in contact with most men, he's diminished in power. But I think they said that um, Morgoth was also like the most fair person that they had ever seen, didn't they? To the men in the Tale of Arnell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I was totally on a different timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Jesse. Uh, this just might be repeating myself a bit, but why do the Valar just ignore Sauron? Like he says, he repents, but like they they went through this before, and <laughs> terrible things happen. History repeats itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. As we've learned thus far, the Valar can't learn anything ever. But you think like Mandos and Talcus and Ulmo would be like, no, 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 no. Morgoth prevented, and and look what happened. Mm-hmm. I think why it, is he different? Well, but I think for a while Sauron managed to even convince himself that he yeah. repented, which I yeah. think is the big difference. Like Morgoth, the whole time he was faking it. Sauron was on some level, but he managed to even like lie to himself that he wanted to be. I think is harder to detect when you're deceiving yourself in the whole process. Also, I always argue that the Valar need to have ultimate forgiveness in order to be the most powerful beings on in, in Middle Earth. Because if you're the most powerful being in Middle Earth and you don't have like like the utmost forgiveness, then what makes you different from like a dictator? You know. So as if they're able to banish Morgoth, then and just maybe that's because the book was like several times, you know? Like, Twice. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They played baseball rules. Yeah. <laughs> Three strikes you out. <laughs> I just want to know, also, I know this, I noticed this again as I was reading through this, because again, it's a question of, because we've been talking about, why don't the Valar do, why aren't they more involved, right? And here you have this line, but all that they, that's the, the kings of Numenor, all that they did was known to Modway, and the Valar were wroth with the kings of Numenor, and gave them counsel and protection no it seems like the Numenorians have a, a stronger relation to the Valar than any men have had, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like the Valar are actually, I mean, maybe not, because then it says, and the ships of Erisaia came, so I don't know if the council, the council seems to be coming through the Noldor in the ships, right? But yet, you know, like the Valar seem to have a, a particular interest in the Numenorians more than, you know, than, than we saw the men in Valerian, right? Now again, you can ask why? Why stop giving them counsel? Like, you know, why, why is that a solution to any of this? Right? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Well, that's a huge common theme in the Silmarillion. Like the Valar have done that before with the Noldor. <clears throat> Melian does that. Yeah. Right. And the Valar yeah. do it again here. Like it's yeah. a very common theme that like yeah. if people don't listen to your counsel, then you're going to stop giving it. Which yeah. ne- isn't necessarily the right move to make, but it's an understandable move right. to make for an imperfect being. Yes. Yeah. But they're also like the beings of ultimate forgiveness. Yeah, that's true. Right. See, I'm contradicting myself. Yeah. I would like to think they're ultimately forgiving, forgiving, but I mean, they that's also too like good for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I should. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, they're not. They don't like us anymore. Well, we're just gonna yeah. ignore them now. Yeah. Just saying all their stuff. Well, you wonder if, like, like so, so in the in the debate, of course, Andreth, you know, he, she gives this sort of minority report from her people that is kind of like almost like Finrod is kind of blows his mind when she says it, right? But she says, you know, there are some among us, if not all of us think this, but there are some among us that think that the solution to all of this, everything that's wrong with 
learn is that Illumitron has to come in, right? And, and that fits with the Silmarillion being a sort of microcosm of that idea that hope always has to come from the West, has to come from the outside, right? And, uh, and I, think, I think you're right. I think the Valar, because, you know, we talked about how, you know, we talked a bit about why it has to come from the outside, because everything inside is tainted, right? As soon as the Valar entered Middle-earth and bound themselves to it, right, they become caught up in all, everything, right? And so it's like, a, it's like a computer virus, right? You can put all the virus protection on, but until you get something from outside of your computer coming in to clean it, everything is at risk of being, you know what I mean? So it's, not, it's sort of like that, right? And, and maybe that's where Tolkien, maybe that's too early here, but maybe that's, that's sort of the, seems to be the logic that he's working out, right? It's, it's, a, it's Christian logic, right? That, that he's working out. And that, that, yeah, that the Valar keeps screwing up and they, because they are also bound here. And the only way that this is going to be solved is if something from completely outside comes in and, and, and fixes it. Yeah. I think this is the point where the Valar sort of recognize that. And it's, yeah, I think it's the end of the song for them. This is the end of what they know. And uh, Matt just gives up and says, it's your problem now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I thought somewhere it said that the end of the song for them was the end of the third age. Yeah, yeah like, like the, when dominion the, the, the dominion of men is. So we're not part of the song anymore. No. But but this is the. I mean, this, they, this would be the beginning of that. This is this is what they started to like tune out because they were tired of the song. Yeah. Exactly. Can we change the station? Yeah. <laughs> but it looks uh, like no. If you question. say that, I'm going to banish you, and you're going to become yeah. the ultimate evil of Middle Earth. Yeah. Melkor <laughs> <laughs> just wants to listen to some sick tunes by himself, guys. Well, it's true. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, well, so we, we this all leads to oh well, okay, well we have we have a little brief respite with uh, Tar Palantir, um, and this is and this is a uh, I think a, an echo of Josiah. So everything's going downhill, and Josiah shows up, and he has this great sort of religious revival. He finds the Book of the Law, and you know he start, he breaks down all the temples and stuff. Like it's this moment of, and then of course you know he tries to stop Egypt from crossing Israel to go while they're fighting Babylon. He gets killed and plagues in the ghetto, and that's the end of his sort of revival. Some people think the whole Book of Lamentations is about just weeping for the death of Josiah. But anyway, okay, that's. But, but that's, you know, when I read that about Talek Tark Hunter, I'm like, ooh, it sounds like that. Uh, and then you have uh, a couple more, and then you have uh, Arpharazan, who basically usurps the throne from his sister, right? Did he marry his sister? Or he marries his sister. It's not his sister, no, it's his, it's his it's cousin. His cousin. He marries no. his cousin and then takes the throne from her. Um, See, incest is bad. Keep it in the family. <laughs> And men saw. Oh wait, no, don't. <laughs> and men saw. I just want to read this because this is a language that we're not completely unfamiliar with. And men saw his sails coming up out of the sunset. This is our prayers on coming to Middle Earth. Dyed as with scarlet and gleaming with red and gold, and fear fell upon the dwellers by the coasts, and they fled far away. But the fleet came at last to that place that was called Umbar, where there, where was the mighty haven of the Numenorians that no hand had wrought. Empty and silent were all the lands about when the king of the sea marched upon Middle-earth. For seven days he journeyed with banner and trumpet, and he came to a hill, and he went up, and he set there his pavilion and his throne. And he sat him down in the midst of the land, 
and the tents of his host were ranged all about him, blue, golden, and white, as a field of tall flowers. Then he sent forth heralds, and he commanded Sauron to come before him to swear to him fealty, and Sauron came. Just like Morgoth came. <laughs> I love that. That's such a great image. Yeah. And yeah, and, and Sauron, of course, yeah, he, he totally, you know, he sees, he sees, he sees it right away, and he, he fakes his his uh, submission and. See, yeah. this is why Sauron can do it because Morgoth yeah. would never exactly. say, "Oh, yeah, sure, I'll swear a submission." But exactly. Sauron's like, "No, no, 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 no." Yeah. If you pretend that you're loyal to someone, you can wreak so much more yeah. havoc than just trying to like yeah. dominate them right away. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And also, yeah. who's seen House of Cards? But it makes me think a lot of the main character Frank Underwood. Totally. Yeah. Oh, House of Cards is so good. It's just oh, that show. Yeah. Um. Then over the next page, there's an interesting line. For now, having the years of men, Sauron, with many arguments, gained said all that the dollar had taught. And he bade men to think that in the world, in the east, and even in the west, there lay yet many seas and many lands for their winning, where it was wealth and counting. And still, that they should at last come to the end of those lands and seas, beyond all lay the ancient darkness, and out of it the world was made. For darkness alone is worshipful. And the Lord thereof may yet make other worlds to be gifts to those that serve him, so that the increase of their power shall find no end. And Corey also makes an interesting point that this language of darkness is darkness and all darkness. Yeah, Alex? Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Sauron Shire. That's, that's Lord. 
right? So in the end, you have, again, you have the two trees in Middle Earth, right? At the end of the Lord of the Rings, you have the white tree and the silver tree at the end of the end. So this is cool. Um, okay, so yeah, so then they start sacrificing people. That's not good. We don't, we don't like that. Um, Pretty bad, but generally. Yeah, and then, I don't know, I mean, we're, we're there's not, I don't know, there's, there's probably. Numenor just goes to shit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, Karazhan's a dick. Yeah, Kara mentioned, the, Kara mentioned this, this sense of foreboding of the eagles out of the West, which, if you read the secondary book study, uh, his, his story, his time travel story, The Lost Road, when he has these people dream generations back to connect to the to Earth or to connect to the mythology, every single generation when they have the dream, it's this image that comes up, right? And that's what sort of shifts it to the nest, going back in time, back and back and back. So, so it's nice that he kind of, uh, let's see, this would have been first, I think. I think so. Yeah, so I think that, yeah, I think that he picks, he takes this and, and brings it into that story. Because it's the exact same wording. Yeah, exactly. the Lord of the West. Yeah. Even, even about that, right? And out of the West, there would come times a great cloud in the evening, shaped as it were an eagle, and pinions spread to the north and the south, and slowly would loom up, blotting out the sun, right? I mean, that's... Oh, that's from this? I thought you were reading from the book of the, or the philosopher. Yeah, yeah, that's how similar it is. Yeah. Um, and then some, of course, would go, oh, we better be careful, and someone hard in their hearts. Uh, Elendil then says, okay, we better get ready, because things are going to go bad. And then, the, and then they come, they, they take the fleet, and off they go. And uh, it is interesting that when they do step foot on Valinor, that they are kind of buried and they're like yeah, they're, they're yeah. still like alive, you know, until the end. You're like, whoa, that's. Well, first before before they leave, Avondale leaves, and we never know if he makes it to Valinor or not. Right. That's the great mystery. That's right. But like, would he have made it to Valinor? <laughs> There's this great line too, right? And at last, all our pharaohs on came even to Amon, the blessed realm, and the coast of Valinor, and still all was silent, and doom hung by a thread. For our pharaohs on wavered at the end, and almost he turned back. His heart misgave him when he looked upon the soundless shores and saw Tenochtitl shining whiter than snow, colder than death, silent, immutable, terrible as the shadow of the light of Illumitar. What an image! The shadow of the light. But pride was now his master. And at last he left his ship and strode upon the shore, claiming the land for his own, if none should do battle for him. And the host of the Numenorians encamped in might about Tuna, whence all the elder had fled. And then, and then, it's, and then it's a Luvatar that actually does it, not the battle. Monway calls upon a Luvatar. And he showed forth his power and changed the fashion of the world. And makes it round. Yeah, that too. Like, yeah. Like, which is an awesome yeah. way of describing. Yeah. I just I like how it says here, like, those that set foot upon the land of Amon were buried under falling hills. There it is said they lie in prison in the caves of the forgotten until the last battle, the day of doom. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they screwed but like, does that mean they are there? Or their bones is just black. Yeah, probably it's just their bones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there is there something? 